Hey y'all, welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph. Uh, we're still pretty new at this. This is only episode six, and I really appreciate the support and feedback that you've given so far. If you haven't yet, please hit the follow or subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen. Also, feel free to leave a comment and a rating on the podcast if that platform supports it. I'm not a humongous fan of most social media platforms, but I am all over Instagram. You can follow me there at It's Mike Joseph. Detoxicity also has a Facebook page at facebook.com slash detoxpod. And of course, if you have an idea for a show or you'd like to be on the show yourself, drop me a line at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am a huge fan of hip hop, and I have been since I was in grade school. I'm old enough to remember the genre in its relative infancy, the time when even in the music's birthplace, you had to tune into a certain radio station on certain nights to hear it. Shout out to Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out. My guest today is fully a product of the hip hop generation. Najee Grampus is the host of the web series Cigar Talk on Rap Radar, and he's conversed with everyone from T.I. to 50 Cent. Najee is also a music industry executive and a consultant for artists. Our conversation covers a lot of ground, from the stereotypical negative behaviors that have plagued hip-hop for decades to its evolution and inclusion of other genders, lifestyles, and ages. We also talk about mentorship, mental health advocacy, networking, and Najee shares the greatest life lesson that he's learned. Get ready, because this is a good one. So my name is Najee. Um, I've been rolling with hip-hop kind of sore lately. I just think it kind of sounds like kind of cool. Um essentially what that is, man, I, I just, you know, I don't know. I, I just do a lot of things with regards to the culture. Um, so from uh, being a director of urban strategy here at Sony The Orchard, um, I direct a lot of content at Rap Radar. I have my own interview series titled Cigar Talk. Um, I consult for a few artists, man. So just, you know, everything that re- revolves around hip hop and black culture, you know, doing something with it. So how did you get involved originally in hip-hop was it like you heard music and you were like i want to be a rapper was it always like i want to be behind the scenes kind of thing like how did that yeah well i wrote one rap in life and it sucked so bad so i never like i never wanted to be a rapper how i got involved i mean i always just love music man like i've been a music head just my whole life just enjoying rap just as a consumer it wasn't until i think this was maybe 2011 or 2012 uh, one of my homies on the block, we went to Vegas and I remember we were driving somewhere. I forget, like maybe it was a, to a club, something. Anyway, long story short, I was playing something on an aux cord and it was an instrumental and I didn't know. And my friend just started like rapping. And at first I was like, it was like a joke, but I'm like, oh shit, dog, like you, you could really rap. <laughs> like, damn. And uh, that was my inception. I was like, yo, let's make a plan and I want to manage you. Like, let's really do this. And I, and I just tried it. And then that was just really my inception into just wanting to really work in music. Whenever someone wants to work behind the scenes in something, it's always interesting to me because usually you get people and they get involved in any kind of artist because they want to be up front. So you're kind of cool being the guy pulling the strings behind the scenes. But you also do interviews and stuff like that. So you're still yeah. like a personality. Sure. I mean, I think that... One, I always knew and had this inclination, like the real people in power are behind the scenes. You know what I mean? That's and the people really making things happen. I always just kind of knew and figured that. You know, I, I never really had a, a desire, a burning desire to be a performer. You know, I just, I don't know. I just never really had that. Um, also, again, is like I said, my start, it wasn't like that was the plan. Like, hey, I want to be behind the scenes. But it was just, you know, I had a friend who I thought had the talent enough to do it and I just know he needed somebody to support him and um, you know that was my role and just kind of from there 
doing it and having some success, it opened my eyes to just different avenues and different things that um, I'd be able to do successfully and make money doing, but ultimately just doing things that I love and would do for free. How did you learn management skills? Like, because in my head, management requires kind of dealing with people's personalities and making all that work. How, how do you, and you still do consulting. How does that work as artists are typically sensitive and a little bit more difficult to direct than the average person? Absolutely. I mean, management comes with a lot of headaches. That's just, that, that's just you know, you got to accept that point. Uh, like you said, just dealing with personalities. And I think when you're a manager, you're not only managing the music or just the artist, but you're managing sort of the life around them. And you're just trying to curate the the best possible life for them to be successful at their art and to be able to monetize it. Um, so I didn't really, you know, I didn't, I didn't read any books. It was more like a trial by fire. It was just kind of, you know, I was on the scene and uh, luckily, I, so I went to a barbershop in Queens and um, sort of like a legendary kind of barbershop at the time, like a bunch of people. I met J. Cole there at the barbershop. Um, and there's a friend of mine, everybody calls him B-Dot. He worked at, uh, he was working at Double XL at the time. So he was my only like link to anyone who was in the music industry. So I used to just bother him like, yo, how do I do this? What do you think about this? You know, and um, it was more just a trial by fire. And I was, uh, you know, I'm from New York, from Queens. So I was an outside guy, like all the parties I was there, I was hanging out and I just kind of met a lot of people through that. Um, so I think that that was a large part of, I guess, you know, what I was able to bring to the table was just I knew a lot of fucking people. And, um, you know, anything I didn't know, I was fortunate enough to be able to ask somebody. Networking is a skill. Legitimately a skill. Because yeah. there are people who don't have, who aren't the type of people that can walk into a room and make connections and retain those connections. Is it natural for you to be like a networker kind of person or is it something that you had to work at over the years? Um, a little bit of both. I think I, I do have a natural inclination that um, I think, especially growing up in my younger years, I was definitely a lot more extroverted. You know, I kind of grew up like as an extrovert, so okay. I didn't mind just speaking to people and walking in a room and talking to people. And I just didn't really care how anyone else viewed me. Where, where did that come from? Because kids are usually, maybe I'm projecting my own experience, but kids are usually pretty shy, like going into a room full of people and having to introduce yourself or kind of be the center of attention just feels really foreign. Yeah, you know what? I don't know. I think um, it started early. Like, I was a... Like, because, you know, like again, I'm from New York. So, like, uh, back in high school and junior high school, like, dancing was cool, right? Like, the Harlem Shake and right. stuff like that. So, right. I always used to, like, dance, like, do the Harlem Shake and all that kind of stuff. And I guess that just comes with, you know, like, you know, it's you can't be an introvert doing that, right? Like, you know, when you're out there and you know, doing chicken noodle soup and all that kind of stuff back in the day. You know what I mean? So it was just fun. You know, I just had a lot of fun then at that point. Um, so I think, like you said, so that, that was the natural part, but also the learning part of it. Um, a lot of what people don't know, before I started in music, I was in politics. Really? Yeah. I worked, I worked for the city council for three years. Uh, Councilman Mark Weprin. Uh, so I was, I was a, a coordinator under him for about three years. And in politics, it's sort of the same as music, man. You know, I was just, just like, I, I feel like, you know, an artist to me is essentially a politician, right? You're getting somebody to buy into your message. Um, you have your message. When you promote it, you have to actively get out there, get on the streets, you know, shake hands, kiss babies. People are essentially buying into you. Um, and that's kind of what it was. And, you know, being in politics, there's, 
you know, ton of networking events and it kind of forced me to be able to have to talk to people um, who I might not normally talk to, right? right? Like I'm a kid from Jamaica, Queens in the streets and like talking to all different people from different walks of life. Politics kind of gave me that experience prior to music. Yeah. And but the question I was going to ask you as soon as I heard that was like, what's the difference between politics and music or what are the similarities? And because in my head, it really feels like they're very similar. They, they are, man. Surpri- surprisingly, I think they're, they are extremely similar just in, in terms of, like I said, it's from the artist standpoint, um, even being behind the scenes, just kind of coordinating things and trying to push forward certain initiatives. You know what I mean? So I, I definitely think that there are a lot of the same um, skill sets that go into making a great politician or even just working in politics in general. But I think overall, man, it's, it's you know, networking and interpersonal skills, right? Like how do you, in order for you to be successful in politics, you have to have people that will go to bat for you, you know what I mean? And people that buy into what it is that you're doing. And I think it's the same thing in music. You know, you, you kind of have to build these relationships and um, just kind of have people who understand your vision and are, are willing to sort of co-sign that. I wonder if, because I'm a little older than you, people think, still think, that it's like you just jump in front of the right person, you get discovered, and you get famous and rich and make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that you know, I I feel like people, um, you know, that's the fantasy of it all, right? It's exciting to think like, hey, I meet this one person, they can change my life. I mean, theoretically, that's possible. It doesn't happen like that often. Times it's it definitely has happened, um, but that's more of an anomaly than anything. But there's definitely been people throughout the course of my life that have helped me and altered my journey ultimately but it wasn't like um i met them and then they changed they, yeah the, right, the, the gates open yeah and, like yeah, yeah. you know i had to really cultivate those relationships and and build them and i always like to say i know I, I said it once before but um a quote that somebody told me once that always stuck with me is the the day you plant the seed is not the day it bears fruit and i and i always knew that man and you know so when I meet somebody and again, you never know who's going to be who, man. You never know who you're going to meet or how they're all to your life. And, you know, I've met a, a few good people along my journey and um, just the way life happened, you know, that things kind of worked in my favor. Did you have a mentor growing up? Was there somebody or multiple people growing up who were kind of an inspiration for you and that you asked for advice or that kind of thing? Yeah, I wouldn't say I had like a, I think I went through periods of different mentors, maybe, sure. you know, I wouldn't say I, there was just one specific person who like helped me along the entire journey. Um, but there were definitely certain periods where I met certain individuals who, you know, were open to me and kind of gave me advice. So I'll say one of the first people, again, that same barbershop I referenced earlier, um, it's called Headquarters Barbershop, which was in Queens. Shout out to Queens. <laughs> and uh, Irv Gotti's brother, Chris Gotti, he started Murder Inc. with Irv. He went to the barbershop. And um, I remember I used to see him always coming in there, driving the BFW at the Rolex. I'm like, damn, like, I got to get like this, dude. Right. So I remember one day, like, you know, and again, this is like a cool barbershop. So everybody comes in on Fridays, talking shit, like just people not even get haircuts. We're just hanging out, right, talking hanging out. rap. Right. Um, and I don't remember what the exact conversation was, but like we spoke, we kind of clicked and um, he just took a liking to me. So, you know, he was my first inception to seeing things and um seeing industry things and it was a lot of i saw a lot of materialistic things being around him which um grew my appetite just for like man like i want that you know and kind of 
provided a source of ambition. You know what I mean? So he was one of them. Uh, I interned for Rock Nation, so it was a gentleman by the name of OG Juan. Everybody calls him uh, Juan. And, um, yeah, he, he uh, same sort of deal. Like, we met. You know, he kind of took a liking to me. And, you know, I was able to kind of just go to his office a lot and ask questions and uh, just monitor everything that was going on, just seeing how things things went. But, again, I'm condensing years, years into, years. like, yeah, sentences. a little bite-sized yeah. kind of thing. So. Yeah, one thing I want to underscore just periodically is how important it is for people to have mentors and for people to be mentors. I don't know that, particularly for, you know, us as black people, I don't know that you get to a place without having people that kind of help you up and school you along the way. Like, I had people who, you know, kind of pulled me aside and were like, okay, I got you, you know, young guy. Yeah. I'm gonna, and whether they actually said it or not, they did it. So, you know, I, I think, you know, when things are a little harder for you, it's more important for you to have somebody that kind of helps you up and shows you the way. A hundred percent. And um, I also got to credit, uh, you know, the same guy I said, B-Dot, who was working at XXL at the time, now works at Rap Radar. Um, he ultimately gave me an opportunity to work at Rap Radar. Um, and that's a, you know, a longtime friend of mine. But I would say... A lot of, you know, he, he's definitely helped me in my journey just in terms of being able to ask him questions. But I think the main thing, um, I'm a very visual person. Okay. And for a lot of times in the music industry, I was, uh, my name was plus one. Right? Yes. I, I, was, I was the plus one. Sure. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I, I was able to, I was a fly on the wall for a long time, man. Before I was in the rooms with people I work with now and deal with now, but they didn't know who I was at the time. You know right. what I mean? And I was just in there kind of soaking things up and watching and seeing who's who, who matters here, who are the players. And I feel like I, I took a lot of years just playing that role, playing the scenes, just kind of understanding the lay of the land before I actually got into a position to um, dictate certain things. Here's where our age difference comes in. I remember a time when hip hop did not exist. Commercially. Yeah. When you turn on the radio and there wasn't any rap on the radio and even, I mean, into my teenage years, if you were to hear hardcore hip-hop on the radio, you had to listen at a certain time of day, certain time of night, actually, <laughs> right. on a certain day of the week, yeah. and only to certain radio stations. Sure. You know, before there was Hot 97, before there was Power 105, before there was any of that stuff, before there was hip-hop radio, at least in New York. I know LA, LA kind of jumped ahead of us a couple of years on the hip-hop radio, too. Yeah. So I'm always curious, like, what is it like to just not have ever experienced a world where hip hop did not exist. Dog, it's it's a sad time for you. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> it was just <laughs> sorry to hear that. Yeah. I was like, no, but no. I, I mean, for me, hip hop has been such a large part of my life, man. And even just outside of you know what I do for work, it just played such an integral role in just identity, right? Like my identity as as a black man, and I think that. A lot of what, and you know, this is all my personal view, but I think, you know, as somebody that's, you know, as a black man or African-American, right? Like um, my grandfather was from Barbados, but I didn't really get that growing up. Right. Um, so as far as identity, hip hop was that for me, right? Like when we're talking about just obviously like the history of America and slavery, like a lot of that kind of plays into the identity of you as a black man, right? Sure. Like, um, you know, every... 
ethnicity or nationality, you have a flag, right, that you take pride in, right? There's a flag, maybe there's a language, there's certain things. And I kind of feel like just being an African-American, we don't have all of that, right? Like our flag is the American flag or right. like, you know, the Pan-African flag, kind of, right. but not really. Right. You know what I mean? So, you know, hip hop was always my flag. Like that was the thing that, you know, no matter where I'm at, what state, what city, like if somebody lives this type of life and understands this culture, we relate on a certain level. And that's kind of what it's always been, man. So it's, it's really been, you know, a blessing for me to just, you know, have hip hop in my life, like to that extent, um, to the entertainment aspect of it. But then also just kind of like being able to learn and pick up things from what these guys are saying, where it's just like, damn, oh, wow. Like I never thought of certain things like that. Like, you know, I heard Jay-Z say certain lines and I'm like, oh, man, all right. You know, a biggie. And, you know, I just kind of picked up little tidbits from these guys. I feel like I know them, like, right, like they're giving you game. In you know, in sixteen bars, and you know, you try to take as much as you can and apply it to whatever you're going through. And how much of hip hop enjoyment of hip hop? And I'm asking this question out because I have an answer myself. Is like the relatability factor, like and uh, like for me, like Big and Jay and Kane and a lot of the you know older dudes, I respect their artistry, but I also like relate to them as people, like. If I think of Biggie, Biggie reminds me of someone that I grew up with. Yeah. Like I would see on the street or on the block or like I have this joke, like I'm pretty sure Biggie robbed me at some point when I was a teenager or something like that. Right. And that's back when hip hop was a New York thing. Sure. Really, you know, yeah, kind yeah. of a New York Real slash LA thing. So all the people coming up just had that kind of local flavor and being like West Indian American and a lot of, you know, early rappers are also, you know, West, West Indian, Indian American. Yeah. How much of it now is the relatability factor, especially because hip hop is now so much bigger than New York and it's like this big world thing? You know what? I, I think um, so. I'm 31. Um, so I guess like when I started listening to hip hop, it wasn't they didn't feel like peers. They were more like older guys to me, even though like Big and Pop really weren't that old. Right? Like tw- Big died at what, 20? Yeah, I mean, 25, maybe 24, 25. Big is three years older than me. Pac is four years older than me. Yeah. So, you know, they just seemed so much older back then. You know what I mean? But I guess when I I looked at it, I didn't necessarily see it through a peer standpoint, just because they felt like older. But I, I looked at them more like you know, OGs on the block or like my uncles, like one of my uncles, kind of like right. Jay-Z reminds me of like like an uncle or something yeah. like, you know, the guy that comes around, he tells you all the cool stuff that you should be doing. Like, yeah, right. look, this is what you do. And Watch out for these people. Do this. Right. You know when I, mean? I was growing up, there was always like two or three dudes on the block that were like, yo, young buck. Exactly. You know, whether right. they're related by blood or not, yeah. that would kind of give you game. Right. So, I, 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 so that's kind of how I always looked at it. Yeah, like just like the older guys from the neighborhood that look out for the young guys. Like, right. yo, yo, young buck, like, this, this is what you do, man. With that said, and, and hip hop gets criticized a lot, even though it's this big world stage type thing right now. People are, there's hip hop in every country in the world, every nationality, every ethnicity, like everything. Why do you think, even after all these years, because when I was a kid, it was just adults like, oh, we don't understand this rapping stuff, so it's just bad for everybody. Like, why do you think hip-hop still gets criticized, you know, 40, 45 years later? I think that's a multifaceted answer. I, I think so. Just just quickly, a couple layers to it. I think, one, hip-hop and the origins of hip-hop, it's always been counterculture, right? Like, it's always been 
um, anti, even from the beginning, obviously, like, I wasn't, you know, I was born in 88, so, like, even from the beginning, when I look at the history where it was just, like, everyone's doing disco, and then you got this small segment of people, like, saying, nah, we ain't doing that, remixing disco records, everyone's like, yo, what is this? Like, yo, we don't, that, you know, um, I think it's always been sort of counterculture, so I think that that's one part of it, is just, it still is counterculture, you know what I mean? So, um, I think it's not for everybody, but then, too, I think um, it's black art, man. And, you know, America has, unfortunately, an ugly history when it comes yeah. to, you know, African-Americans. And um, so I, I think that a lot of what comes with, you know, dealing with black art is a lot of those negative feelings and a lot of those negative stereotypes that are kind of placed on it. And, you know, people just sort of not understanding what it is and not understanding the culture. Race plays a large role into how people accept the culture and what they feel about it. Do you think any of the criticism is valid? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, that's what anything to me is like, you know, you got to take the good with the good and the bad with the bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, there absolutely things I feel about this culture that are not positive for our people, our youth. You know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it comes from a real place, right? Like, I think art does imitate life. And a lot of the negative things I feel like that are spoken on and rapped about and even to extent glorified come from a real place of like poverty, right? Like when you have these kids rapping about, you know, drugs and guns and all of that kind of stuff, like you got to look, look at it from a deeper angle. Like, well, why is it like this, right? Like, how is it like that these kids are in this position where they're seeing it this early and um, these are things, right? And that is tons of systemic things that kind of play into sure. it the reason of as toward why it is the way it is um but i definitely think there are absolutely you know negatives to it but to me i don't necessarily point the finger at the artist but more the system in, in my view okay one thing that's really been interesting to me as a hip-hop fan is that it's turned into something that's a little bit more like i remember when i was growing up like there was you know you were in baggy jeans and tims and, and hoodies and if you were not dressed a certain way, you were not hip-hop. Yep. But now you have folks like, you know, Tyler the Creator, or, you know, everybody's wearing skinny jeans now, yep. when everybody's into fashion, and, you know, like the whole, like, sort of grimy, gritty element yep. has kind of gone out of, particularly commercial hip-hop anyway. Sure. Uh, it's gone out of that a lot. And I think hip-hop has become somewhat more accepting of, you know, people from other cultures, people from other lifestyles, people, you know, that do all sorts of stuff, with the possible exception of women. How do you feel about that, just in general? I agree, man. I was still, you know, I, I was still active around that time point. Like, I'm a, I'm a byproduct of 50 Cent, right? Like, when 50 came out, that was like, you know, your short sleeves, we couldn't see your elbows. Right. Like, if I see your elbows, it's like, what? Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. They, they looked at you crazy. And, you know, that that's just what it was at the time. That was the standard of masculinity which was like tough right like that was you know what people's perception of what masculinity is supposed to be and that's what was dictated to you which is like yo if you don't do this then we're all going to look at you a certain way and you know whatever social repercussions come with that you got you just have to accept right so i do think that but i think that's why to me the evolution of hip-hop was just so dope man it's just 
everybody isn't like that. And I think for most people's reality, most people aren't gangsters and street guys, right? Like most consumers, like they're definitely people that are, you know what I mean? Um, and for me, you know, even though, like I said, I, I grew up in environments where um, I was around a lot of street things, you know, and, I, and I, I, I've been immersed in that environment, but I myself, I don't know, I'm not like a street guy. You can, you you know can what be saying? of it, but, but not, not in it. In it. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I come from that, but that wasn't ever my reality and I never tried to pretend that it was. Um, but I think it's dope, man. Like, you you know, you mentioned like, you know, Tyler and Rocky and Pharrell and these guys, Kanye, who broke the mold and like, yo, you know, I remember when Kanye first came out and I'm looking at this guy who's dressing in polo shirts when everyone's wearing jerseys, right? Yeah. It's just like wearing skinny jeans. Everybody's like, yo, who the fuck is this guy? You know what I mean? But he came out rapping like confidence on a million. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm not intimidated. I don't, you know, you what you guys are doing is with you guys. But, you know, Kanye, what if somebody from the shot that was ill got a deal on the hottest rap label around? But he wasn't talking about coke and birds. It's more like spoken word. So I was just like, man, damn, you know what I mean? And I think that's what to me is so great about the evolution of hip hop is that we see as the genre grows, you know, the people grow. We are all growing with it, you know, when things change. So, you know, I embrace the change, man. I think it's I think it's dope. It's funny because up until what, like ten years ago, there was no such thing as like an old rapper. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and now it's like people are, you know, in their thirties and forties and fifties. Um and I think Obviously, as you get older, you're supposed to evolve and change. But I also think culturally, like younger people are more confident exploring themselves in like a different kind of way. Again, like taking it back to when I was coming up and you had like, you know, Cube and Onyx and like all these hard, you know, dudes, mostly dudes, and they all kind of look the same. And if somebody like Kanye came out back then, They'd have been like, yo. Yeah, they would have jumped them. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you yeah. know, when PM Dawn came out back in the day, yeah. and, you know, KRS went on stage and, like, threw him off the stage. Yeah. And it's weird that in 2020, hip hop sounds more like PM Dawn than it sounds yeah, like KRS One. Absolutely. Where does. One thing that I, I, I find interesting is, like, where do women fit in this at all? Hip hop has gotten a rap as being misogynist, and in some cases, it, it most definitely is. Absolutely. But it, I mean, the ratio of like male rappers to female rappers, or I mean, female producers, which I literally cannot think of one. Seldom. Yeah. Right. Do you think? Because hip hop is really seen as like a guy's thing, and going back to like when I was a kid, it was like you know, LL and Heavy D were for the ladies. Mm-hmm. Well, LL was kind of for both, but like if you were a girl, you listen to like Heavy D and Salt and Pepper. And you know, not a lot of other stuff. Yeah. Um, and then kind of like when Puffy and, and Biggie came out, they kind of made it a little more, more acceptable. Yeah. But you know, I don't know a lot of girl DMX fans out there. Sure. Or do you feel like that's even not evened out, but going more in one direction or the other? Yeah, I mean, I think um <clears throat> when it I think that was across the board, man. Like I don't I don't think that was just relegated to hip-hop i think that in every sphere and every way if we're talking about different communities or jobs like women it definitely wasn't equal you know what i mean we're still fighting for things to be equal and to be diverse to where women are um accepted the same way as, as men you know what i mean so um i definitely think that that that's something that is also going 
to continue to be a part of the growth of hip hop. Like, I think we've grown. We've gone from, you know, being teenagers to coming up as young adults. Like, yo, you know what? Maybe that's not the right thing to do. And it's all a progression. So I'm glad to see, like, I feel like now, especially, you know, last few years, you know, we had the Black Girl Magic movement and the Me Too movement and a lot of things that have helped progressing and, you know, getting people to change their minds and understand that, like, yo, women are people, right? They're not just, like, sexual objects right, or whatever the case to, is. To think we even have to get to that point. Right. <laughs> For sure. You know, but I, I think it is opening up and I think it's, I think it's changing and shifting. I feel like the paradigm is shifting. I think there are a lot more women rappers coming into the game now than ever. Um, I think it's going to continue to grow. And, um, you know, I promote that, man. I, I, I think, you know, I think it's dope. And I feel like, yeah, women are just, yeah, women are just dope, man. They're just, their attention to detail, just the way they do things, man. It's, it's, it's such a different energy than what we do. And I, I think it's just vastly needed in, in the community for sure. On the cigar talk tip and on the interview tip, do you ever get to a scenario where you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm talking to this person or sitting in the room with this person. Like, do you bug out when you meet certain people? On the inside, I'll never show it. Like, I'll never, like, act like it or show it. But, yeah, there's definitely been certain times where I'm like, oh, shit. Like, who's your favorite MC? All time? Yeah. Jay-Z. So, Jay walked into this room right now. So, that that happened to me before, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I was in a room. Remember, I told you I interned for Rock Nation. So, I was sitting with OG Wan, and I was showing him a, something that I was working on. And, um, you know, I'm talking to him about it and my back is faced the door. So it's just Juan. He's sitting at his desk. I'm like talking to him. And next thing I just hear, yo, and I turn around. I know that voice. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I was like, it sounded like an ad. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, am I earpods in? I'm like, yo. I just hear, yo. I turn around and it's Jay. So Jay walks in. He says, what up to Juan? He's like, yo, what's up? And he says, what up to me? He's like, yo, what's up? I'm like, yo, what up? And uh, but I was talking to Juan, so like I didn't want to look like corny and just stop talking. So I kept like finishing my sentences, but it didn't matter what I was saying right. at this point. I was like, "Oh just shit!" Speaking gibberish. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> like I just did everything to be like extra cool, so I wouldn't feel like I was just you know all OJ. But yeah, definitely, I felt it like, "Oh shit!" It's Jay Z in a room. Like me, Juan, and Jay Z are sitting in a room. That sounds like a like a joke you tell. Like, right. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. But no, it was definitely a moment, man, and you know a surreal one at that. But the fact that I got to really just be in there and talk to Jay and like we had a whole conversation and it was just crazy, man. It's just like I've definitely had some surreal moments with people that, you know, I looked up to growing up and, you know, having conversations with it is it's crazy, man. But it's a blessing. It's a blessing for sure. One thing that I'm super passionate about is mental health. Rap has gotten really sort of in tune with that, like for real. I mean, Scarface was really the first person to kind of be open about the stuff that he deals with. Now it feels like it's a lot more commonplace. You got Cuddy, you got Kanye, you have pretty much all the SoundCloud rappers just out right now, mm-hmm. kind of being open. Do you feel, I guess, how, A, how do you feel about that? And B, do you think that hip hop is set up, or the music industry, like beyond just hip hop, is set up in a way that these people can be creative and put their art out and still be supported? Because life of an artist, is crazy sure and i think a lot of people maybe think that the life of a creative and then the life of someone who has addiction problems or mental health problems or whatever like those can't really go together you know what i, I think they're so much more closely related than people really understand 
like for a lot of, and you know, just especially in t- today's generation, hip hop stars are younger. Like they're becoming younger and younger every year. Like how quick and fast these guys are getting notoriety. It's not normal for a 16 or 17 year old to go from like being in a one bedroom in the hood in the projects and next day you're making millions of dollars and everyone's saying yes to whatever you want. And that that's a dramatic, it's a drastic change, man. And I think that that does come with a lot of mental health ramifications, right? Because, you know, you're going from a two, literally two totally different lives, right. um, opposite sides of the spectrum. And I know I, I remember uh, there was an Eddie Murphy movie, Trading Places, um, that I always thought was so cool, man, and watching it and kind of like taking the rich guy, putting him in the hood and taking a poor guy and putting him in the rich environment and just seeing how drastically different it is and how it ultimately changes and shapes you as a person, your circumstance. Right. Right. And I think it's the same thing, man. It, it, it is literally you're, you're, you're taking somebody because, you know, things can blow up so fast today that literally you can be nobody yesterday and tomorrow everyone knows your name um, and is at your beck and call. So I think, you know. The struggles and the the need for people to maintain a balance and understand all the feelings and the thoughts and everything that's sort of coming along with the journey. I think that's so important, man. Mental health, just because, you know, it's it's not always easy, you know, living up to that pressure, you know, having to deal with the pressure of, of what it comes with, having access to that much money to do whatever you want with it. Right. Like. It's not always easy being able to maintain a, a homeostasis in your mind um, at that level. So I think it's dope, man. I think it's dope that we're actually able to have that conversation now. Um, I think it's dope that <clears throat> a lot of these kids that are speaking about it. Shout out to G Herbo. You know, we yeah. just put that album out called PTSD. And, um, you know, he's speaking about a lot of mental health things. Um, but I think it's dope just because, like, you know, other kids are going through the same things that you're going through. Right. So this isn't like a an exclusive problem to you. Um, you know, there are a lot of people that have mental health issues and I think it's it's, it's normal. I don't, I don't you know, I don't think it, that means that there's something wrong with you or whatever the case is. Right. I'm glad we're able to actually have that conversation on a on a large scale. Yeah, I think discussing mental health in the black community. And again, maybe I'm just kind of transposing my personal experience on, on everything, but it's been taboo for so long. Yeah. Like, you know, don't tell a doctor, you know, what you going to tell a doctor about what's going on in this house? Like, for sure. All that stuff. Yeah. The fact that it's being brought out to the open more now, and people are just talking about it, it normalizes it. You know, Jay talks about going to therapy. Yep. Whereas up until I was in my 30s, like nobody talked, nobody I knew talked about going to therapy. That was something rich white people did. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, again is... You know, that, that's the gift and the curse. And it's just about what we do with it is a lot of, you know, I think I said this on the panel we had last week, which was like I was reading a book called Ontological Blackness. Right. And it's the idea of what it means to be black. Right. And I think a lot of that is dictated by this culture. Right. And what people say, a lot of that is dictated by, you know, what we make cool and acceptable as black men and women as to what the standard is of blackness, right? And that's what, like I said, is I mentioned the whole slavery bit because that's what we have to hold on to in a sense of pride is that blackness and nobody wants to be ostracized. Like you want to feel as black as the next person, right? right? So like, you know, I feel like there's a, you know. I mean, objectively you are as black as the next person. Absolutely, but the the way the standard is set, if you don't 
quote unquote meet up to oh, yeah. whatever the standard is, they're gonna make you feel lesser than. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I just think that to me, I think it's so important that we're including these things now in the standard and like it's, it's all arbitrary. Like it's it's not like a real it thing, is, but it, it is, is you know arbitrary. What I'm but you know, I've certainly felt that in my lifetime. Like you know, it's like how are you gonna tell me how black I am right. when you know there's more than one way to be black. Yeah, there's a million different ways to be black, and really all that dictates that is you know was here. Absolutely. But yeah, back to, you know to the mental health thing. I, I do think it's really important that people keep speaking out about that, and people just kind of look at situations for what they are. Like you made a really good point about how crazy it's got to be to like come from nothing to all of a sudden be like, oh, I got money, I can pay these bills, I have a staff, I have these people depending on me to do stuff for quote unquote normal people. You know, there's a step, right? Yeah. Like you go to school. You know, you learn business or whatever, you're a trade, you get a job, you get married, you have a kid, you have this very linear outline of how you sort of mature. But it's one thing like in March, you know, you're in your one bedroom apartment kind of chilling, just making records and making beats on the computer. Yeah. And then in July, you got a number one record and, you know, you're touring the world, going places you've never gone or considered in your life. Absolutely. You know, you know it, it matters, man. I remember, uh, so even prior to politics, I was a paralegal for a few years back in the day. You're only 31, Najee. I know, I, man. I, I, I had a job. job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Um, but no, I remember, like, I I think I must, I mean, there was one year I did a lot of overtime. I think I made, like, $60,000 for the year, and I was, like, 19. And now, like, when you're 19, I'm thinking, like, I'm on top of the world, right? Wow. Yeah, I'm like, yo. Oh, and I thought man. I was the man, like you couldn't tell me shit. Like I'm like, man, I'm the like but literally like I remember somebody told me once I'm like, yo, you're you're pretentious. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? And uh like I just I, and I just and I just liken that to say like obviously like I've grown so much from that point in my life, you know, I was a teenager, but I just I just go to say like when I went from having nothing to having sixty grand, which is not a lot of money. Yeah. But like at that point that's like everything. You know, and I, and I was tripping off of that, right? So, like, I can't even imagine, like, if I'm a 19 to 20-year-old and I got millions of dollars, like, for you to be able to maintain a, a certain standard mentally with your health, with your humility, with, you know, who you are as a person and still be able to maintain that, that's not that easy, man. So, you know, I definitely empathize with these kids, you know, and, and I get it, right? Like, no one would say, like, oh, poor rich kid. You're like, you know, I, I get it. But you got to understand, I, I remember... Thinking about, I was thinking about Michael Jackson a while back, and I was like, imagine being like 13 years old, and you are the breadwinner for your entire family. You cannot come out of that normal. There is no way. No way. Like, just understanding the logistics of stardom and financial reward and all that stuff before Mm -hmm. you're mature enough to handle all that stuff. Like, I can't even imagine, like, a parent asking me for money to this day. Right. Like, I'm pretty sure if my mom asked me for anything, like, what? You know, right. you have more money than me. Like, right. how is that even possible? So imagine that as a kid. Yeah. it's a lot. You know. <clears throat> Where do you think hip-hop is headed? What do you think the next, like, five years look like? I think that, um, I, I think that it's going to come to a place where, I think these kids are smartening up, man. You know what I mean? I, I think they're not as dumb as yesteryear. I don't think you're able to fool a lot of these kids the same way you used to be able to. 
Um, and I think while there will always be this sense of, uh, you know, just there's, there's always a lifestyle that comes with being a rapper, right? And that's always going to be spoken and rap about because it's just cool, right? Like, right. I get it, right? But I, I think a lot of these kids, man, I think they are kind of going to smarten up in their raps a bit more. Like, you know, I'm seeing so many, so many of these artists these days, like, becoming cognizant of their deals and talking about how they, you know, they want to be independent and they don't like the deal structure and things like that. And going from that to like, you know, 21 Savage now is, you don't wear chains anymore. Talking about real estate, man. And right. I think, I think we're going to see a lot more of that where, you know, again, we're, we're growing. I think you're, we're going to see that growth. And I think the growth is, is absolutely inevitable. You're not going to get sold out for $5,000 in a pair of sneakers. Yeah, right? That's old. Yeah, that's old. In the RAV4. Ah, those days are old, man. What do you see as your future? Like, where does Najee want to be five years from now? Man, it's, it's always so hard for me to answer that because people ask me that a lot. And um, it's hard because every five years, I think the trajectory changes. Like, if you'd ask me five years ago, what would I be doing? It wasn't this. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's, it's really hard for me to say. But I think... Um, I enjoy what I do now, you know. I enjoy working, you know, working here for the distribution. I think it, at some point it will transition into ownership. I think having my own label is something that I, I really want to do and work on. So that's that. But ultimately, man, like I said, is I, I just want to be, you know, when the history books are all said and done and my time is over and I'm just like this old guy, like, I, I just want to be, I just want to go down in the history books as someone that mattered to the culture. culture. You know what I mean? And that's my most important thing. I don't really know what that necessarily consists of. Um, I have so many ideas and so many things I'm working on, so I don't know which avenue it'll be. But when I look at guys like how Steve Stout and Kevin Lyles and Puff and, you know, all those guys from the 90s that you hear about that really shaped and impacted this culture, and you know them, right? Like, they're not just these mystery guys. It's just like, yo, these are the guys that really, you know, imparted uh, their wisdom and their knowledge and brought on artists that ultimately help shift the culture. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I'm going for. Last question. What is, let me try to word this properly. Is there anything that you've learned over the course of your life and your career that sticks out more than any other one thing? Like if someone was to stop and be like, what was the greatest thing that you've ever learned or that someone has ever taught you in your life? I would say greatest thing was, was probably uh it was perseverance, though. That's really, you know, again, my my journey is unconventional. So it's, it's hard for anybody to necessarily compare my route to how to this industry, to how you would get it. Because it's just my route was so crazy and undefined that it, I don't think, you know, anyone else's journey could sort of be akin to mine. But I will say that my journey toward getting in the place that I'm at or even in the industry in general was tough, man. Like it, it was, it took a lot of will dog, like to actually get here. And I remember, like I said, is, you know, the artist I was managing, um, when I first started, you know, we kind of started building up some traction and long story short, he wanted to go to jail for six years. And at that point it was just like, damn, what am I going to do? Like we built up this whole thing. It's just like, you know what I mean? And, at that point, when I decided, like, yo, I really want to work, work in music full time, I started applying to every label job that popped up. Every every single job, whether I was qualified or not, I applied, 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 applied. I applied for hundreds of jobs, and I maybe got I got two callbacks. I got one 
I had an interview with Atlantic Records, and I didn't get that job. And I had an interview with Live Nation, and I didn't get that. Now, this is a span of probably like two years and a, and a half, maybe three of just applying and getting shot down and just like, yo, what the fuck do I have to do to get in here? Like, what do I have to do? Right. So I say that to say is everything in my life has come from perseverance. I felt every negative emotion you can feel to get to this point. Like every discouragement, like every single thing that you can feel, I felt that. The only thing I I just never gave up. That's it. And even when I was, even I actually I did I gave up multiple times, but I never really <laughs> like gave up. You, you just know said you're giving yeah, up. Yeah, I was like, you know yeah. what, man, forget this. I'm yeah. out of here. You can, but you I know. never really gave up, man. I just I just kept going, and I ultimately I think that to me is the biggest advice that I can really impart to anybody, um, and which is still helps me to this day is like, yo, no matter what it is, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm just not gonna like. There's not I don't there's no such thing as no to me. You know what I mean? I don't it just means like not right now, maybe. Right. But like no doesn't really exist in my head. And was that taught to you or was that something that just No. It, it forced me to stubborn. life made me get like that. I didn't I didn't want it to be. I would much rather prefer the easy route, like somebody just like right. helped you, like, yo, let me help you. Right. I hundred percent wish that would have happened. You know what I mean? And it was frustrating because I knew a lot of people who were in positions I felt like to help me. You know what I mean? And I felt like there's a bunch of people I knew that if they would have made a phone call or if they would have did this, if they would have did that, ultimately would have changed my life and it would have changed this and changed that. And it made me bitter, man, and, you know, resentful to people like, damn, what the flag? You know what I mean? Um, but I just realized, like, yo, I want this thing that bad. I want it that bad. And it's just, it's just you know, like I said, I came from the 50 Cent School, which was like, get rich or die trying. <laughs> That's where I come from. It's like, I'm going to get this or die trying. One of the two. I'm either going to literally die <laughs> trying to do this right. or I'm going to get in. And that's that's the biggest thing I can say to anybody, man, is just, yo, persevere. And it's hard, bro. Like, it, it sounds like, yeah, keep grinding. Like, I hate when people say that, but it's real. Like, yo, keep going. That's, I mean, that's all really, I did. It's really hard to get... It's really, sorry, it's really easy to be discouraged when you have doors slamming your face. Absolutely. But I'm kind of, you know, on, on the same page as you. You can't give up. The door's closed for now. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's closed forever. And that's the other thing is just like the being able to or being able to put in work without seeing the return. It takes a certain amount of dedication to do that, you know, and um, I feel like that's what I had to do for a long time. And it was like, and again, this is my just personal view, but I feel like that was life testing in me to see how bad do I really want this? Like how bad, like I could give it to you, but how bad do you really want it? And for me, that's what it was. It was just like, yo, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. I'm at every event. I'm meeting this person. I'm trying to network. I'm trying to do this. I'm applying, doing this. Nothing's working. I just kept going. I just kept going. That's literally all I did. I can't necessarily feel like, say, I like I felt smarter than everybody or I felt more this, more that. I was just, I just said, I'm just going, I'm not giving up. Y'all going to, you're going to either see me, you're going to have to keep seeing me because I'm not giving up, period. So, Najee is an impressive dude. What I came away most impressed with was his message of perseverance. Achievement isn't as simple as wanting something. Sometimes you have to really be stubborn in your pursuit and don't allow yourself to get discouraged. You may get knocked down a couple times along the way, but it's always important to get back up. You can find Najee's web series, Cigar Talk, 
on rapradar.com, and you can find them on socials at Najee Chill, spelled N-A-J-I-C-H-I-L-L. What resonated most with you about this episode? Let me know at facebook.com slash detoxpod or on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph. And since we're talking about music, you should also check out my weekly radio show, The JCC, which airs Wednesdays at 8 on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or on Podbean, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss another episode, and please use the hashtag DetoxPod if you're discussing the show. Leave a review anywhere that you can, and tell your friends about Detoxicity if you think they'll enjoy it. If you have any questions about the show, or if you'd like to be a guest, just send me an email, DetoxPod at gmail.com. I'm Mike Joseph, and I thank you for listening. Please be safe, stay healthy, catch you next time.